What is up, everyone, and welcome to episode 392 of Combo's Court. And you know it, man. I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, punch down on that subscribe button. If you'd like to support this podcast, check out the Combo's Court Patreon page. I'll leave a link in the description for that. Today's show, the head coach of Oklahoma State, Mike Boynton, joins in to talk the current landscape of college basketball, coaching, Cade Cunningham, what happened to the New York City point guard, and more just a fantastic conversation with Coach Mike. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Welcome to Combo's Court, man. How are you feeling today? I feel great. I feel great. How are you? I am doing well, Mike. It's great to have you on the show. Um, it's crazy because, I mean, from our city, we've seen so many NBA players, a lot of high-level overseas guys, but not a lot of guys that coach actually are the head coach at a high major like Oklahoma State. You had an opportunity to play overseas. Do you feel like it was a blessing in disguise not going and starting the college coaching journey early? Yeah, I mean, the story of my life in many ways has been about redirection uh, and, and adapting to, you know, the circumstances in front of you. And, you know, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Um, and obviously when you're from there and you grew up in the 80s and 90s like I did and you were a hooper, that was everything. You know, the competition was at a really, really high level. Uh, I was fortunate to have, you know, peers of mine that were super talented dudes, but also really good people. Uh, and I could start rattling off a list that would probably take up the whole podcast. But uh, we're talking about the likes of Omar Cook, Andre Barrett, and Talik Brown, just in my high school graduating class. You know, three McDonald's All-American point guards. And I happened to be the fourth best point guard in New York City at the time. There wasn't room for a fourth New York City point guard on the All-American list. Uh, yeah. So I didn't make that team. But I was um, because I was able to compete mm -hmm. against those guys. I got better, and therefore I was good enough to still go play at a pretty high level in college. Uh, got recruited by several schools, UMass, Hofstra, Seton Hall, Boston College, but ultimately chose to go to uh, the University of South Carolina uh, in Columbia, playing in the SEC. Uh, Eddie Fogler was the head coach at the time I was recruited. He had coached at North Carolina under Coach Dean Smith. He had recruited Michael Jordan and Jerry Stackhouse and – you know, so on and so forth, a bunch of really, really good players in his time as an assistant coach. And, you know, I got to South Carolina and had an opportunity to really learn basketball, like like almost semi-pro playing in that league at the time with Kentucky and Florida, LSU with Ron Dupree, Ole Miss with Justin Reed and the, the likes of those guys. And so I was exposed to high-level basketball as a youth, but then also in college. Uh, and like many other guys, I hoped that I had an opportunity to go play professional basketball. Early on, that dream was the NBA. As I got more closer to the end, it became more of a realistic option for me to say, you know, maybe overseas for some time is the route. Uh, and, and I guess really, fortunately, 
uh, I got injured before I ever played a day of professional basketball. And I say that, um, you know, in a realistic manner, as a 40-year-old looking back, I wouldn't be where I am today had I had an opportunity to continue my basketball playing career for another four or five years and then found myself coming back onto the college basketball scene, <clears throat> trying to figure out how to navigate that world uh, on the other side. Yeah, I'm from New York myself. Do you feel the toughness, the grittiness that becomes innate as a New York City guard such as yourself helped you throughout the college journey and helped you land to where you're at today? Yeah, New York City made me who I am. Uh, Brooklyn yeah. sp specifically because, you know, competitiveness, if you do any kind of assessment on me, is the <clears> thing that's going to jump out off the page at you. Everything about my world, my decision-making is about winning. It's about being competitive. It's about having other competitive people around me. And a lot of that has to do with, like I said, man, I was a point guard and trying to find my way in the class of 2000 with the competition that was, you know, to my right and left all around me at all times, you either competed or you didn't make it period. Yeah. So true. what what comes with that is some toughness and resilience and, and understanding that maybe you're the underdog, but you can still get the job done. Uh, so there's no doubt that those streets of New York city, uh, Brooklyn, especially uh, had a lot to do with who I am today, but who mm -hmm. I've been all my life. Okay, I'm going to shift this conversation slightly. I want to take it to college basketball practice in general, because about 20 years ago, 10 to 20 years ago, I'd say the feeling I had about college basketball practice in general, and you could correct me if you feel that I'm wrong, is that there was an overemphasis on conditioning and probably not enough emphasis on skill development. Has that changed within the college landscape over the years? Yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, I can't speak for every program, but right. the ones that I've been associated with, and I've been, this is going to be my 19th year in college basketball coaching. Wow, crazy. And then the four years I spent playing, there was definitely an overemphasis on the conditioning aspect, right? Uh, and I can sit here as a head coach and say that when I first started as an assistant, you only know what you know, right? And so I was... One of the assistants like, yo, we got to get these guys in shape. We got to get these guys in shape. Even as a guy who played the game his whole life, but never really thought about conditioning for basketball, you just played. Even the strength part, like the physical development part, that wasn't a big deal. I never lifted weights at all until I got to college. And I was like, why are we lifting weights? Like, <laughs> right, right, right. Like we're basketball players, you know? Uh, but I definitely think there's been a shift uh, – in, in, in many instances to more emphasis being on guys really learning how to play the game, how to understand, read and react, decision-making, timing. Uh, I wish that kids, this generation of players that are coming up now, played more, five yes. on five. Um, but they definitely train more than we did. It's we, we played more. It's it's crazy you say that because obviously you watch a lot more high school basketball than I do. But when I watch it, I see guys with effortless shooting motions. The shots look really good. The weapons they have as offensive players, incredible. But I would say what's lacking is maybe the ability to make those in-between passes that might not lead to the assist. 
feel for the game type stuff I feel like lack is lacking today. Even the passes that lead to the assist. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Even that, <laughs> I mean, okay. I, I think we, we got to start there. The pass, just the pass that okay. leads to the assist. Okay. Because <laughs> so much of it is, is about individual scoring, finishing, you know, and they become really good at the floaters and the runners and the same foot, same leg. Yes. Play up, like things that we didn't really think of, right? When we were growing up, it was convention. It was two-hand passes. Like they can do those things. They don't. They don't have feel for how it actually translates in a game. Exactly. Because again, you can put as many cones out there as you want. At some point, when there's five bodies out there, those people are going to be moving, and their arms and their legs, and you know, dealing with all that is going to create a totally different scenario than just being out there. You know, I come up a ball screen. I'm a I'm a uh, split this time. Well, you it may not be a split. Like you got to really kind of have a body out there to see what the positioning is, and and then when you get to the next level, right? You're talking about just making a pass because your teammates got a better opportunity to feed the post, right? Right. <laughs> just or just or just ahead. even even passing up instead of sure, pounding, just right? pitching the ball ahead on the yes. break, right? And, and giving your, your your teammate an opportunity to then go make the play. Or understanding the the one more, you may have a good shot that's that's not overly contested, but your teammates got a wide open one. And, and again, not playing five on five, getting up and down and seeing those situations. So as you know, outside of games, really has limited these guys' ability to make those decisions, as you said. Do you feel that just playing the sport more could help with that? Like, is this a fixable thing? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, experience is our best teacher. Right. And I think right. so many kids now, and I, I don't even know if it's just kids. I think in general, like we're more afraid of failure now than we used to be. Yeah. I, I, I see what you're saying. Cause when you go to a workout, it's like, there's no way you could fail. Right. There's if you no play way against, to fail. Yeah. If you play against people, you can yeah. definitely you can, fail. Like, like there was a consequence. You yeah. go to the park and lose. Like, you may not get on the court for a while. Like, you know, like. Yeah, but I think, Mike, it's also the way the kids are playing because they're playing like four AAU games in a day, but it's just sure. ISO, 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 yeah. ISO. Yeah, I watched a lot of, obviously, AAU basketball, high school basketball. And I, I think coaches do what they can to cater to their best players. That's not new. Right. Uh, but there, there's not as, many, it's not as much standards on playing the game in a collective manner as it used to be. You know, yeah. I, you know, the thing and I, and you know, obviously I'm, if you ask goat questions, right. I'm, I'm going to lean towards MJ and I respect the heck out of LeBron because I still think <laughs> he plays the game the right way. Like LeBron is going yeah. to pass the teammate, pass the ball to an open teammate when the situation calls for him to pass the ball to an open teammate. So I respect yeah. that about him the same as I did about MJ. MJ expected you to make that shot. Steve Kerr, John Paxson, when he passed it to you. It's like LeBron expects, you know, whoever it is, Kyrie or whatever, his teammate, AD, to make the open shot. And, and a lot of times these kids aren't exposed to having to be held accountable to playing the game collectively. They, they have so much more emphasis on their individual impact. And it's really individual impact just in terms of scoring. Yeah. It's not rebounding. It's not screening. It's not cutting. It's not, you know, all the other things that go into making a, a good offensive team work. Yeah. I mean, you did coach a young man that got it really early, Cade Cunningham. 
What did you learn about Kate as a player, Kate as a person, and what allowed him to get the part of the game that we're speaking about so early? Yeah, so you know, I'll give you the quick version of the story. I saw Kate for the very first time when he was 14 years old, except I didn't know he was 14 years old. I actually went to his high school in the fall of 2016 to watch one of his teammates, who was a junior at the time. Kid name is Kyler Edwards, who ended up going to Texas Tech, transferred to Houston, played with Houston's team this past year that went to the Elite Eight. And so I get to the gym, and, and the high school coach says, hey, you know, you're here to see Kyler. I, I wouldn't mind you looking at this other kid over here. He's a good player. Let me know what you think after the workout. And so I go watch the workout, and I'm overly impressed with his skill and feel for the game. And he's about six five at the time. He's got big, broad shoulders. Yeah. He's got a little bit of a baby face, but he played the game in a way that he did, which like I saw Kate three times in that practice, get a rebound, take a bounce, and throw the ball on the off the bounce with his left hand down the court to an open teammate. And I was like, like, what? Like, okay. So after the practice, the coach comes to me and says, Hey, what do you think about this kid? And I was like, No, he's pretty good, but tell me, like, what's wrong? Like, is he a kid who doesn't have grades? Because his game was so mature, I thought he was a kid who was being under-recruited or was like maybe he didn't have good grades and needed some help going to junior college. And the coach is like, no, 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 no. Like, he's a freshman. He just started school last week. And I'm like, well, hold on. I, I need to talk to Kyler, <laughs> but hold that other dude tight one second. <laughs> because if he if you're telling me he's 14 years old, then that dude's going to be special because he did so many naturally instinctive, unselfish, good basketball things that it was like at six, five, he's going to grow. He's going to fill out. He's, and he ultimately became a six, eight, 225 pound freshman point guard for me. Uh, but a lot of it, a lot of it, what it what came from, he was exposed to the game in his purest fashion early on. His brother Cannon uh, played at SMU for Larry Brown. And if you know anything about Coach Brown, yeah, you're gonna play the game the right way. Yeah, definitely. And That's old he, school. Yeah, and <laughs> then his brother worked for Mike Dunleavy, another old school kind of just purist of the game. Yeah, and so his brother took it upon himself to pass along really transferable things to Kate. Told him like, this is how you have success as you continue to move up this game. And Cade, you know, to his credit, took the advice because sometimes younger, more talented guys don't listen always. Uh, and yeah. I was really fortunate because he taught me a lot of things about the game and about, like, it can still be done. Guys can still be held accountable. And that the best players want to play the game the right way. Yeah, I could imagine there was a lot of challenges coaching Cade in the sense to how to use this guy because he was so versatile. Yeah, I'll tell you what, the biggest challenge for me, coaching K, was that he was so easy to coach. Wow. Like, like incredibly coachable. Cade started every game that he played for us. He missed three games because we were dealing with COVID that year. They, we, he was with us. But every game he started, he started at point guard for us. But the whole season, Cade never, when we go to skill development during practice, he never worked with our guards. He worked with our post players every day. A, because it was an area that he wanted to improve in. And we didn't have a bunch of great post players. And so I thought to myself, at 6'8", 225, 
And I had a kid who was 6'4", about 210, Isaac Likely, who was the other backcourt made of him. That's, that was my star backcourt. Like, yeah. no one's going to roll out this size in the backcourt. Yeah. So I can give ourselves an advantage if these guys are good as post players. And yeah. never once did Cade fight, go work on Mike Ins or jump hooks or off. Like, he was, like, all about it. Like, and that it really opened my eyes to just why he's good. Like, yeah. what, what is going to be successful? Like, that's the – is it going to help us win? Like that was always the only thing that drove his motivation. It shows how smart he is. Cause you're from New York and all the bigger guys never wanted to play sure. bigs. And, sure. and this guy um, was going to be the number one pick. Absolutely. And he, he didn't want to go with the guards and work on his handle or whatever. He wanted to get down there with the bigs. It just shows how smart of a young man. He really, was. really mature. I mean, you know, I, you know, obviously you, you, you worry as a head coach and I'm a young head coach. Right. There was a lot of eyes on us when he, I had him and eyes on me. Like, yeah, oh, that's true. That's so, true. Because because so, so. because every NBA talent evaluator is watching every game. Sure. Yeah. And coming on the heels of uh, Ben Simmons goes to LSU. Super talent. Their team's terrible. Markel Fultz. I mean, I'm talking about high level guys who were really really good players and became top top picks who went to college in non traditional blue bloods. Right. Right. Saying that I don't have to go to xyz school to still be effective but it didn't happen so after ben simmons markel fultz goes to washington awful the team's awful yeah both of those guys coaches good coaches good friends of mine both of them get fired anthony edwards the year before kate goes to georgia they won like eight games <laughs> right so it's like like can this work with a high level talent to guy not going with other really high level talented guys and play still high major basketball and have success. Well, Cade, you know, understood that and was willing to make sure that winning was the priority. And so obviously we had the tournament run. He was the player of the year in the league as a freshman, led the league in score and like, and shot 40% from three when that was the knock on him coming in. Like he just took a very professional approach to both winning and development that I hadn't seen with a lot of guys his age. Was it a challenge creating space around him? Because that was the big thing that talent evaluators were talking about. Like, he's going to have a lot more space in the NBA. How was that for you? Yeah, I mean, I think the the, the space in the NBA is by a byproduct of the rules of the NBA. I mean, like, there's always more space in the NBA, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, like, there's more talent in the NBA for everybody. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. Better shooters, more space. Sure, sure. Right, right. And, 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 you know, so we didn't have probably the ideal team for him, but we had some other good players who had uh, pretty good success. You know, likely was a good backcourt mate, kid Avery Anderson that we brought off the bench that year, who's, he, you know, he's kind of a borderline guy right now. Um, he had a really good year. He averaged 19 a game for the last two months of the season. Uh, and, and a part of it was, you know, when you have a guy like Cade out there, every team is putting their best defender on that dude. Yes. All right. Yes. So if I still have two other really good players out there, you're not putting your best defender on three different dudes. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, those other guys are able to get off. Our post players are able to get lobs, you know. And Cade was a willing screener, a willing passer, a willing cutter. He really is so versatile. It's almost like, like I would think about if I'm coaching him, like, Obviously, you want to give him the basketball. That's the best thing to do. But there's so many different ways you could use him. Sure. Yeah. Cade had the second most post-ups 
on our team that year. It's crazy. He had the most ball screen. Um, he was he was obviously number one in ball screen as the handler. He was actually third on our team in ball screen as the screener. Yeah, that it's insane because like he's gonna be one of your best catch and shoot guys. He's gonna be the best guy. Sure. Initiating offense. He's gonna absolutely, and he showed he's one of the best guys in the post. It's just a crazy talent, a crazy talent. I want to ask you this, Mike. Um, with the NIL deals, how has that changed the way you recruit? Well, it's changed a lot about the conversation and recruiting. Uh, I okay. don't know if it's necessarily changed how we recruit. Okay. Uh, and, and I, you know, obviously some of it is still to be determined on how much of this stuff is real out there, right? Like, right, right. Like yeah. we see crazy stuff, but, you know, we're, we're New Yorkers, man. Like surely there's not a bunch of college basketball players making half a million dollars, you know, right. that haven't really performed and- also, like the companies have to figure out, right? Sure, is, is this worth it? Like, Absolutely. Yeah. Like, there's gonna be a, it's, it's gonna come down. There's always gonna be outliers. If Kate was here, he would be a guy that would be a top, top of the line, top tier earner, right? Uh, and so you just gotta have some principles uh, that you stand for. You gotta still try to make it about the the main mission, which is education, development, and and then future opportunities. And what the kids have to understand is. If you want to be marketable or if you want to be uh, somebody who companies want to associate themselves with, the best path to that is being really good at basketball. That's always the best path. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know many NBA players that have to run out kind of, you know, promoting themselves to get Pepsi or you know, McDonald's. Oh no. I, I heard these, co- I heard these college players are like in the company's DMS, like, and I yeah, like, <laughs> like just get good. Like try that. Go be really good at what you do and they'll call you. Yeah. I mean, if you're really good at basketball, everything else will take care of itself. Usually. Right. If you keep the main thing, the main thing, then the, the other things that come with that are easier. Right. Wow. That's a great quote. You but keep, a lot of times, the main thing, the main thing. I love that. Yeah, but a lot <laughs> of times, if you lose focus and you try to manipulate the things that aren't as important, you don't get the benefit of that. But you also suffer in the main thing because yeah. you're not spending as much time in the gym. You're on social media. You're you're hanging out, trying to you know on IG, whatever. Well, it, is. it must be so much tougher for these kids these days to stay focused, right? Oh, there's no doubt. I, I kind of feel sorry for them in many ways. Um, I feel fortunate that we didn't have as many distractions. Part of the reason we were at the park. Yeah, you know, exactly. All day long. Because, you know, first of all, everybody didn't have a game system. Nobody had phones. Nobody had, you know, social media didn't even exist. And so you really had to go outside and, and do something that you really enjoyed. You had to find friends and you had to kind of be a little bit more creative. These kids don't have to really think that much, which is unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, we see a guy like Jaden Hardy slip to the second round. We see a guy like Paulo get a Jordan sneaker deal. Um, you probably see where I'm going with this when it comes to the alternative routes. Are oh. there are there situations where it's in the best player's interest to take those alternative routes, or it's usually do you usually think it's the best idea to go to college? I still think just because there's a proven, I don't know how many years hundred years of data on college athletics and, and the fan bases and the following that's already built in. 
Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, there's no greater example in my mind than the, the 2021 draft class, Cade's draft class. I think Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga were both rated higher than Cade coming in to college. That's crazy. Yeah. Evan Mobley, I think Cade might have been like, you know, he they the top they were the top four guys. There was no doubt. But Cade yeah. and Evan both went college. And even in a year with a pandemic, they were on T Cade was, I mean, I came home sometimes like, man, turn the channel. Like I I see enough of this dude, man. Like he was on TV every day. Yeah. I don't know, I don't know how many times Jalen and Jonathan, who went to G League route, played on any network. Like you had to kind of go search those dudes out. And the other thing is, you know the level of competition that, you know, in terms of reputable competition that Cade faced every day. He played against Baylor three times. He played against Kansas twice. He played against Texas twice. You know, so there's a... there's Like, to be honest, it's almost tougher to score at that level in a lot of ways than the NBA. Sure, yeah. Sure. So yeah. I tell we, we kind of... This was the more difficult route for Cade. Like, first of all, non-traditional blue blood, but also against the highest level competition twice a year against Bill Self, twice, uh, two times in a year against Bob Huggins. Yeah. You know, so the, the pressure to be on twice a week, every week when everybody's looking at you to produce the way he did, it was pretty, pretty fascinating. I do like the idea that they have more options now, though. No, I love it. And again, yeah. college isn't for everyone. True. You know, that, True. that I, I'm, I'm realistic about that. I just yeah. also know that if, if there's a realistic path through college, there's enough data that says this is a proven route to to be, to get better. Again, the weight room, the, the strength and conditioning, the, the nutrition, the, the medical, like all that stuff. Some of these guys are going overseas. They forfeit yes. all that. Even the G League component is better in my mind than going to Australia. <laughs> yeah. Nothing yeah. against Australia. I mean, country, it, it, worked, it, worked, it worked for LaMelo, but yeah. There's been a lot of guys who tried it. To your point, general managers have grown up watching the NCAA tournament, and sure. that's where their eyes are going to be. Absolutely. There's yeah. access. A lot of access points here. Yeah. So, uh, if you go play and, you know, I don't know, maybe maybe a guy can go over there and watch you for a week. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you feel there's – like you mentioned that there's obviously more gravity, more spacing in the NBA – than NC2A, um, and the rules, you said, have something to do with that. Do you feel like there should be more uniformity when it comes to the NC2A and NBA basketball? Um, I don't know. I, you know, I kind of go back and forth on this. I am a um, – I really feel like part of the reason that the, the, the NBA works as well as it does, the, 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 those are the best dudes, man. Like, yeah. I don't know college guys by and large because most college guys aren't NBA players. Like, yeah, yeah. there's know, not there's not a lot of Cape Cunningham's like running like, around. Right. I think there was a time I tell this to my staff all the time. There was a time where we understood getting to the NBA was damn near impossible. And it still is. Yeah, I was trying to see where you were going with it. <laughs> like We don't think about it like that anymore. Like we crown all these kids as pros. Like, how are they all going to make it to the NBA? Hey, they can't. They're all not good enough. Most of them aren't. Yeah, there's but only so. Well, first of all, there's only so many spots. There's only so many spots. 
75 years the NBA's been around, right? 75 years. They just had the 75 years of, of the NBA. Yeah. You probably know this number, but do you know the number of total NBA players that have played in the NBA? I think I heard it was 5,000. Not 5,000 yet. Okay. Less than 5,000 people have played in the NBA in 75 years. And today, think about right now where we are. If you think about the best players in the NBA going into next season, if you just started rattling off names, how many of those names would be will be out of the NBA in the next five years? Yeah, I mean, you could just go to video from five years ago and see all those guys who aren't playing anymore, you know? My point is, I think that most of the guys, the NBA, I think the NBA is as young as it's ever been. Yeah, a lot of Luka. projects too. But Luka, Jokic, yeah. Giannis, Trey True. Young, Donovan Williams, I mean. Mitchell, yeah. yeah. Donovan Mitchell, Joel Embiid, Anthony Davis. Like, these guys who are now signing their first, some of them signed their second, Max deal, they're going to be in the NBA for the next five. There's really only like 25 spots. It's yeah. not 400. We say 400 because that's the total number. But a lot of these dudes are going to be in the NBA for a long time. Yeah. And the, other, and the other thing is if you're a certain type of player that don't fit one of those NBA roles, like if you're a six-foot bucket getter and you're incredible, yes, you might be even one of the best in, in the, the world, world. At, at that. In the could, world. And you could end up overseas. In the world. Yeah. Omar Cook, who was my best friend growing up, is still to this day the best passing point guard I've ever seen. He averaged 10 assists a game in college. You know how hard it is to average 10 assists? Yeah, it's crazy. He was a great defender, too. Tremendous defender. Yeah. He couldn't find a way. Couldn't. When yeah. I watched Trayvon DeBall five years ago, Billy Preston five years ago, those were like sure fire. They haven't sniffed the league. Yeah, it's tough. Like it not is close. It's tough. And if I go in my locker room tomorrow and say, "Hey, show of hands, how many guys are gonna play in the NBA?" They all every, go up. Every hand, and it's not just my locker room. Well, do you like do you like that mentality? I like it, right? But I also want to have an appreciation for what we're doing now, because for most of them. This is the highest level of basketball they're going to play at. Like, enjoy this. Have aspirations. You better understand it's hard. You got to work. But, like, don't don't be looking ahead. My, my point to them is don't be looking past this. Like, that's a guarantee. Yeah. I mean, you might be more of an unbelievable story than somebody that made the league. I mean, a guy from Brooklyn, New York City. Think about this. Head, head coach about in that? his 30s. How about that? There, there are more of their jobs available than there are of mine. I know. Yeah. <laughs> that is that is crazy. That is crazy. All right. So we'll end with this. I mean, you mentioned Omar, and um, I don't know if you saw the NYC Point Gods documentary. Of course. Great documentary. Just had Kenny Anderson on the pod. Great documentary. Do you feel there's anybody that was left out of that doc? Yeah. You. There's no documentary that could cover it all. Yeah. Exactly. The first thing that comes to my mind, I'm Brooklyn biased, is Jamal Tinsley. Tough. <laughs> tough. You know? Oh, man. He was you know, so tough, man. Yeah, but there's a bunch of guys. I mean, you know, Eric Barkley, uh, Jerome Holman Fridge, who played at St. Pat's and then went to Wichita State. Uh, those are guys just from Brooklyn. 
<laughs> so, yeah, I mean, but but you know what? Like I said, you, you can't cover them all. There's not enough TV airtime. The commercials you'd have to buy like a, a network for a whole day to cover it. It's crazy how many great point guards we had if they had Omar Cook just talking about the NYC point guards. How about that? Like he didn't even get his own feature. Like that that shows how deep it was. Andre Barrett, all <laughs> yeah. American, played in the NBA. Didn't I mean those guys? And again, those are my peers. Those are the guys I grew up button heads with. Luis Flores, like my know, guy, being tough. One of the toughest dudes I've ever had to defend. Ben Gordon, yeah. Mount Vernon. I mean, yeah. Won the national championship at UConn, played the league. I think he made an all-star team. Yeah, yeah, and he and he's not even in the dock. That shows how deep. It not is. even in the discussion, Mike. What do you feel happens to the NYC point guard? I mean, I think a lot of it is that the position is just different now. I mean, a lot of players are hybrid type players. I think some of it is the New York City's best players just go to different states. What's your feel on it? No, that's a big part of it. Is the the the, the uh, transient nature of New York city, right. Is, is people aren't staying there and finishing it out. All those guys, they talked about their experiences finishing high school. And then the next step, Rod Strickland going to DePaul, but being from New York, Mark Jackson going to St. John's, Kenny and uh, Kenny Smith, Kenny Anderson, like all those guys, they grew up, they had spent their whole lives there. Yeah. And a lot of guys now are leaving before the end and so people don't necessarily associate them with New York City as much as whatever prep school they went to or, you know, whatever college they may have gone to. Um, so um, that's a part of it. You know, but but there's no doubt the position is different. Yeah. You know? The Derrick Rose, Russell Westbrook influence on the athleticism and scoring minded nature of that spot. Is less Chris Pauls and and you know type types that are. Do, do you think that position, that. in general, not even from New York, do you think that position will become extinct eventually? Because like Chris Paul is one of the like the last guys. Trey doesn't really play like that. Um, I mean, some of the younger guys don't really play like pure point guards. Yeah, I don't know. I, um, and we talk about this kind of going back to the recruiting piece. We don't really talk in positions anymore. Yeah, yeah, true. Because again, I mean, I think about the best players, they're really multi-dimensional guys who like like what position is Giannis? Yeah. Like what pos- like what position what position is Luca? I know we say he's a point guard. I mean, because he has the ball in his hand 90% <laughs> of the game. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about. Just give your best guy the ball. Like we yeah, were talking about that yeah. in AAU. Like that's what happened in the NBA. Like, I don't I don't know if Cade's a point guard. I don't know that. I mean, but yeah. Yeah. He was gonna he was gonna have the ball in his hands. <laughs> so yeah, you talk about decision. You now talk about decision makers, playmakers, shot shooters, shot shot makers, finishers, right? You you talk in those terms more than so you're 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 talking more tendencies than position. Talking more skill set. Skill set. Got more it. More skill set. Yeah. Mike, great stuff. Thank you so much for taking the time, no man. Problem, you're always man. welcome back. It. Hey, are you active on social media? Where can we find you, man? I mean, obviously, if we watch Oklahoma State, we could see you on the sidelines. But where yeah, can we find I'm you? Very, I guess I'm fairly active on Twitter. Okay, uh, the Coach Mike T H A C O A C H M I K E, and um, Coach Mike three O H. Uh, so three little play on O there um, on Instagram. So there you go, Coach Mike three O, and then on Twitter at the coach Mike T H A C O A C H M I K E. 
Really appreciate you taking the time, Mike. You're always welcome back on the show. Talk soon, man. Appreciate you having me. And good luck on your season. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Talk soon. There it is, another episode of Combo's Court. Big shouts to Coach Mike Boynton for joining in. Thank you to everyone who listens to Combo's Court across the globe. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button if you haven't already. Share this episode on your social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Take a screenshot of this episode and post it on your Instagram stories. You can tag me on there at one 2 combo That's O-N-E. T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. If you would like to support this podcast even further, check out the Combos Court Patreon page. I'll leave a link in the description for that. Be on the lookout for episode 393. Combo out.